Hey, welcome to another episode of Film Streak. My name is Rob, and what we do here is we watch movies, something new, something we've never seen before, something we've been meaning to see. We go ahead and watch that and then talk about it. And by we, I mean me, but of course you are welcome to join in and tell me what you think about these movies. If you've seen some of these, uh, maybe you have a, a pretty good take on it. Maybe you understand a little better. Maybe it's one of your favorite movies and I either don't understand it or, you know, hey, let's just uh, let's just talk about the things we like together. Right. If you have some thoughts, you have some comments. Hey, send that to comments at filmstreak.com. Also at filmstreak.com, you can find other episodes. If you've maybe found this in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever, you can find other episodes there. You can subscribe. You can do all the things. There's not really a lot of things, but still, go check it out. In the meantime, um, hey, you know, I'm trying to get back into this thing, watching movies pretty regularly, but uh, I did want to get to these because... Some of them I really liked and some of them not so much, but uh, I just want to keep the streak going, right? So, all right, with that out of the way, let's get to where we left off. All right, Film Streak 129, let's start with 13 Lives. Following what's happening in Thailand. Kids stuck in a cave. It's flooded. It's a five-hour dive. No visibility. Strong characters. Hello! Hello! They're all alive. Can we go out now? How do you think we're gonna get those kids out? That was a crazy idea. It's unethical. It's illegal. It's their only chance. Right. 13 Lives. Rated PG-13. Now this is a film that uh, I wasn't really aware of. I don't know if many people were aware of it. It seemed to kind of just come out of nowhere. But the cool thing is that it's about a story that uh, happened very recently. And, uh, you know, if you paid any attention to the news, you at least had some idea of what happened. Maybe not specifically how and who all was involved. And this 13 Lives, this film is about a rescue mission of uh, 12 boys, young boys, and a soccer coach that were all trapped in a cave in Thailand. And then that was all compounded by a flood that came in, you know, the rainy season. Uh, it just basically trapped them underneath, uh, underneath a mountain, basically. And with all the water in the way, there's no possible way for them to get out. So, well, everybody had to come in and try and figure out how to do it. And the thing I like about this film is that, um, you know, it's interesting. It's directed by Ron Howard. Uh, it stars a few people that you might recognize, at least from, you know, more uh, higher profile stuff. Viggo Mortensen, Colin Farrell. And the thing that it they don't really call attention to themselves in the way that you might think. You know, they kind of come in and they're the outsiders to the situation. But at the same time, they have the experience and uh, basically the just courage to try to do this, even though the chance of success is super slim. And it's interesting the way that it's shot and the way that it's put together. The, the way the story is told is very documentary-like. And I know there is a documentary, I think it's by National Geographic, and that tells the real story with real footage and probably goes into some more detail. I haven't seen it yet, but I did see this 
because I felt like this might this might give us a more of a, a it, it at least recreates the actual setting and the circumstances. I think in a way that whatever existing footage may not necessarily give us. So in that respect, I think this was really well done. It's it's very um, it's very immersive. It puts you right there. And there's a lot to be said about some of the just some of the production and the, the and the camera work and and the way some of the stunts and the diving were done. That I mean, it's undeniable. You just you're on the edge of your seat just watching these people do this and and try to figure this out and dealing with the elements and everything that's kind of stacked up against them. But it is pretty pretty suspenseful, even if you know what happened. I mean, it's easy to look that up, look up the news story and see how it all went down. But the way it's kind of reenacted and dramatized to some degree, uh, even though it's it's pretty lean. And in that respect, I, I liked it. I really liked it. And it's a little bit of a surprise, like I said, because I didn't even know they were making a film about this. Uh, the fact that Ron Howard was attached to this, I figure, well, that's going to bring some cachet to it. It's going to bring some you know, some notoriety to it. I'll tell you this. If you're not a fan of swimming or if you're not a fan of caves, especially if you're not a fan of swimming in caves, this is not going to be for you because it's very, uh, it, it, it really gets across that sense of claustrophobia and the pressure and the nature of just flying blind underwater where it's basically a, an environment, a, a place where people should not exist. Like humankind is not meant to be in this specific place. And that's pretty wild to think that these guys not only did this on their own, but they did this knowing that they have to find a way to rescue somebody and children and children who may not know how to swim and children who certainly don't know how to swim in caves. And wow. I mean, it's it's pretty intense story. I mean, the real thing is certainly the the it captured the world, you know, the the world's attention in terms of what's going to happen. And yet, you know, it gets caught up in other things going on in the world. And some people may remember the story. Some people may not even know how it really ended. And so in that way, looking at the film, you see how it all played out and what these guys had to go through, what everybody had to go, what the whole country had to go through. And so it, it's it's a recommendation for sure. I would give it that. 13 Lives, that's a watch. So go for it. Next up. All right, here's one I wanted to talk about for a little while. I've been holding my tongue on this. I've been just trying to like, you know, be patient. But number 130 on Film Street, this is Prey. It knows how to hunt. I know how to survive. And this is a film that, uh, you know, I feel like nobody really, nobody was really looking for uh, a, a sequel to the Predator franchise that, 
you know, has had its ups and downs and mostly downs, right? If we're being for real, uh, Predator 2, it's kind of a mixed bag. It's got some interesting things in it. It's got a lot of corny, you know, business going on in it, but also Predator versus Alien, Predator versus Alien 2, or I'm sorry, Alien versus Predator, whatever. Same difference. Now, the one that I did kind of think tried to bring it back to where the original, which is such like a landmark action genre, just filmmaking achievement, 1987's Predator, the film that I thought really tried to get us back there, you know, tried to go back in that direction, get us into good ground again, was Predators. This one, we're on a different planet. We're like learning more about what the Predator culture is like or the hierarchy and all that jazz. I thought it did some interesting things with just playing with maybe some of the expectations, right? It kind of flipped some things around, which was good. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm with it. The Predator that came out just a few years ago, I guess, uh, you know, the expectations were kind of high because it was Shane Black who was on that one, wrote it, directed originally was a, a, a character in the first movie. So that was a nice little callback or what a little tribute to, you know, the, the original. But that movie was just a mess. And I just don't know. Tonally, it just was kind of in different places. And it just seemed like something that had some good intentions, but just couldn't really decide what it wanted to be. And so that, of course, was another kind of, it was a letdown. But here now, here's a film that I just feel like happened kind of in secret also. Just, nobody really knew that this was coming until it's basically about to drop. And the nice thing about that is expectations were like non-existent. You know, I almost feel like they could have marketed this or, or pushed this out as just its own film. And then, oh, we get the surprise that ah, this is part of the Predator franchise. Now, that would have been pretty dope. Uh, it's like you just kind of back into it. You get people off guard and they don't realize that they're watching a Predator movie until, you know, 30 minutes in or whatever. But either way, I think this one really took it to a different, uh, it took it to a different level, really. Not only in the sense that, okay, we're backing up. We're going back in time. We're going back to the first time these Predators either landed on Earth or encountered humans or, or whatever. The filmmakers are really trying to show us how this whole thing developed. You know, the, these creatures and what they see on Earth and what it means to them and, and kind of how humans learn over time, I guess, how to deal with it. You know, we catch the first instance of it. But what's surprising and really cool about it is that at the center of all of this, we've got a character that is, is a little bit of a surprise, a little bit of a revelation. We have this young girl, Naru, who's just trying to find her way in, you know, find her place in her tribe and trying to be a hunter, trying to actually do some things that maybe she is not allowed to do or not uh, traditionally expected to do. But she wants to do that. She's determined. She's set on it. And so Naru played just with this undeniable kind of energy by Amber Midthunder. That's a breakout star right there. I'm telling you. She's been in some other things before that, but being the star of this movie, 
she's on the way up. I know it. But the way that this character kind of develops and becomes more than what she was hoping to be and goes beyond that and becomes basically the hero of the story, I, I think is it's done in such a kind of organic and uh, almost a natural way. You know, you see the progression. Like she tries, fails, tries again, gets uh, into some sticky situations, and then is forced to really step up and beat this monster down. And hey, that's that's a pretty solid character arc, I think. Not only on top of that, she's dealing with this insane hunting alien creature, right? And we all kind of have some baggage on. We already kind of know what this thing is capable of and, and what they're all about. And especially, you know, some of the scenes in this film are just insane. I mean, this thing tears through this camp of these French, uh, what are they, like fur traders or whatever they are. Uh, in some of the other movies, it's very kind of like picking off one person at a time by surprise, by like traps and whatever. No, this is just running up through the camp, just stabbing you through the throat, whatever it is. That's what they do. And so it's a much more uh, primal look at what this creature, what these this race of creatures is all about. They're hunters, but they're savage hunters. And... In a way, you kind of see it like we take away all the technology and take all the weapons, the more advanced weapons, I guess. And you see that this thing is just it's a beast. And so we need a character that can find a way not to be a similar beast, not to outbeast the beast, but to at least be smart enough to outsmart it. Right. And so that's why I think this film really gives us that in a, in a way that. You know, it it's, it goes counter to what we might have seen in the other movies. And that's, to me, that was played perfectly. Like, that was the right move. And that's not to say it doesn't have some issues. You know, it's got uh, some of the, some of the, like, visual effects are a little, leave a little something to be desired. Some of the decisions, some of the characters make a little bit questionable. But overall, I think the, 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 the intention of the story and what it's trying to set up, I believe, for a possible future movie or to kind of fill in the gap between this film and Predator in 1987, you know, whatever that time span is, that I think is what it's setting up to show us. Like there, there's going to be some more story in there, I, I believe. So with that, I feel like this is a really good like launch into the like a retroactive launch into this series. And I don't know of too many film franchises that have tried to do this. So this is really cool. And so, again, that's a recommendation for me. I really liked Prey. I, I feel like there's a little bit that it could have, you know, kind of been tightened up, a little polished a little more. But overall, I thought it was all right. So give that a watch. And I think that one is a Hulu exclusive. And so, but speaking of Hulu, though, let me just say that it's a little disappointing that this only came out on streaming. And it speaks maybe, I feel like it speaks to maybe the confidence that maybe the studio or whoever's involved with distributing the film. I think it has a little something to say about the confidence they had in this. 
which is unfortunate because I feel like this is a, it's a great story and it's solidly done. And it could have certainly used a theatrical release, I think. Anyway, that's Prey. Check that out on Hulu and let's keep it moving. All right. Now, we're going to get to a few here that, uh, uh, you know, I was trying to catch up on a lot of recent movies and there's some films I'd been hearing about for a little while that I said, okay, I need to go ahead and get in and, and see what's going on with these. And, um, well, I'll just tell you. Okay, so we'll keep it moving. Film Streak 131. This is The Black Phone. Have you seen this boy? My brother, he was taken. By a man with black balloons. <laughs> Have a dream about it. Please let the dream be real. You're getting out of here. How? There's a combination lock. What's the combination? Hang up the phone! You don't have much time. You're gonna use a weapon. <laughs> creepiest damn thing. Now, this is a film that I actually heard about a while back. Um, I feel like it might have originally been scheduled for a 2021 or earlier release. So anyway, I saw the trailer for this, for The Black Phone. And the premise of it in the trailer itself seemed pretty intriguing. And uh, I think my main takeaway with this is that the quality is certainly here. You know, Ethan Hawke, he plays this character who, look, if I'm looking at Ethan Hawke himself, not scary, right? Nice guy. Kind of a, actually kind of a, a cool guy. But in this mask, in this environment, with this kind of affectation that he gives it, okay, I give it to you, it's a little bit creepy. Scott Derrickson, the director, He's done some work in, in this territory, in the horror genre, so kind of knows what he's doing. I give you that. And even the the, the kid the, that's the main character of the movie, you know, I thought, all right, here's something different. I want to see a movie with a kid that is going to really bring it. All right, so look, here's, here's the deal. So when I saw the trailer for this film, my first impression was, oh, the kid, he looks, he looks like Ethan Hawke. He looks like a young Ethan Hawke. And in my mind, I'm trying to do some math. I'm trying to figure out, okay, what is this film? Because the premise, honestly, it seems a little bit like, like we've seen this movie before. Now, when you get into the actual story itself and you, you understand more about the characters, you see there is a little bit of a different angle on some things. But I really thought, oh, wait a minute. Here's a guy who's the bad guy who they show us in the trailer. So it's not a surprise. So we know it's Ethan Hawke. And they show us the main character, this kid, who kind of looks like a young Ethan Hawke. 
But the Ethan Hawke, the real Ethan Hawke, is hiding his face with this mask. And he locks this young boy who looks like a young Ethan Hawke in the basement. And in the back of my mind, I thought, oh, wait a minute. There's going to be some kind of twist to the story where the kid is actually the creeper. Not the creeper. What the, what's the hell is his name? The grabber. <laughs> hey, do better. Just get a better name. The grabber? No, that's not it. I know that's what you wanted to call him. I know you thought it would sound kind of weird and, and you know, off, off-putting or whatever, but the grabber? Nah, no, 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 no. Let's do better, okay? The creeper. I like the creeper better. I just made it up, but the creeper. Let's try that. This kid looks like the grabber, but much younger. And so I thought, oh, wait a minute. This is going to be something where he's trying to capture his younger self. There's some kind of time thing going on. None of that. None of that was in this film. And... Ah, it's not the film's fault, it's my fault. I made that story up on my own. So here, what I got instead is just the story of a guy who kidnaps children, keeps them in the basement, and the boy finds a way out. Okay. That's not to say that's a bad premise. Again, though, feels like I've seen it before. So in that sense... This was kind of a letdown. The black phone just really didn't do what I thought it was going to do because I apparently thought of some other, some whole other movie that this is not. And so my thinking is, if you go into it with no expectations, maybe, you know what, just don't even watch the trailer. Don't try to wrap your head around what's going on in the trailer. Just go into it knowing, oh, it's a horror movie and it's about, uh, some kid that's, you know, being kidnapped. Okay, that's all you really need to know. Don't worry about anything else. It's not like so much horror, although it's kind of billed as a horror film, but um, it's more of a thriller. Maybe it's a little bit more of like a like a ghost story. Uh, it's not what I would really consider like a horror. So for me, it's a pass. I saw it. I'm fine with what I saw. It's just not the film I had in my head that I apparently started writing on my own after seeing the trailer one time. So with that, ah, we keep it moving. Okay. We'll go on to the next one. I'm done. I'm done like making up my own movies in my head before I watch them. So that's the black phone. All right. Now, speaking of movies I made up in my head, <laughs> see, I just, you know, this is the problem sometimes with trailers. When you watch a trailer to a film and you realize that, oh, this is sparking like an idea of like, this can't be what it seems like. It's got to be something bigger, something different. And so when you watch a trailer for something, you start making up the story in your head, try to fill in the gaps. That's a little dangerous because now you're making a movie in your own mind that uh, is not going to be what you're about to watch. And the same also applies to this next film. This is Film Streak number 132, The Lost City. 
just pick it and fling it. You pick it and fling it. Don't make that sound. Getting you out of here. Why are you so handsome? My dad was a weatherman. The Lost City. Now, this is a film that stars Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum. It's directed by a couple of people, Aaron Nee and Adam Nee. Never heard of them. Feel like they can do some cool work, though. Some fun stuff in here. But at the same time, um, this is not really a movie that's all that uh, all that great. I'm not to say it doesn't have some smart stuff in it. It's got some funny, some smart writing and some gags in it. It knows what's up. And it knows that you know what's up. But at the same time, as far as like uh, actual adventure, romance kind of thing, man, it's just, uh, it's everywhere. It's trying to be this. It's trying to be that. It's trying to be this kind of really intense adventure, action-filled thing. It's also trying to be this romance. It's also trying to be this really kooky, quirky comedy. And... It all comes in little pieces here and there, but it just doesn't really mount up to me. And that's not to say anybody's bad in this movie either. Everybody's great. I mean, Sandra Bullock is still, she's still got the comic timing and the dramatic chops to really make this character work. The problem is, I just don't know who this character is. I feel like I'm watching Sandra Bullock for a lot of this movie. And Channing Tatum, he's kind of the... Uh, it's kind of two-dimensional, you know, dumb guy who is trying to do more than he's really capable of. And there's, of course, a surprise cameo that's not really a surprise because it's in the trailer by Brad Pitt, who is the real adventure action guy. And, well, I'll just say, if you haven't seen the movie, things go differently than you might expect for Brad Pitt. But... When Channing Tatum, his character, has to really step up and be the the hero, I don't I don't really see it. It it doesn't really work. And so all of that's to say is when I saw the trailer for this, I thought, oh, here we go. See, I started doing it again. I was just like, oh, I made up a movie. I made up some jokes. I made up like the th different things that are gonna happen, the action and all that. And Tonally, I just don't know. Sometimes these movies are getting really hard to peg. Like, what am I watching? Is it an action movie? Is it a comedy? Is it a romance? And I get it if you're trying to do everything. You're trying to throw every, a little bit of everything in there. But man, sometimes it was easier when these movies were pretty much one thing with a few little drops, little splashes of the other stuff. And now there's so much of everything mishmashed together I'm not really sure what I'm watching. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. My taste as, as an audience member is used to one certain thing or a certain way of presenting a story or a character. And some of these films, they, they're getting so... Uh, they're getting so loose with what genre they're in and what tones they're playing in. And I've seen that here in several of the films recently. And so this is another one that it just really stands out. It's like, I just don't know what I'm watching. It's not to say I didn't enjoy some of it. There was actually a few really good laugh out loud moments in this. And yet the action just seemed a little bit kind of 
I don't know, kind of cheap. Didn't really, you know, here's the other thing too. Uh, this is what it feels like to me. This feels like, and it's something about it, something about the, the, something about the way it's shot or the way it's, I don't know. There's something in films here in the last couple of years when it, it was just not up to a certain level. You can tell this is a COVID production. And I, I, I can't really peg it. I can't peg what it is exactly. But there are some films here that have come out that I just, I, yeah. Of course they made this during COVID because it just looks like it's lacking something. And maybe it's because, oh, you can tell it was shot like on a soundstage or because like there's never more than a few characters on camera at the same time. You know, so maybe some of the, you know, health protocols or whatever were in effect. And it just feels like that's part of what was happening during the filming. That's not to say it was, but it just, I don't know. There's something about it. It's just weird. It's, hey, it's just a part of the world we live in, I guess now. So anyway, that's The Lost City. Um, for me, it's a pass. I, I kind of enjoyed some parts of it, but for the most part, I don't really have an interest in watching it again. All right. So now we're going to move to the next one. And this is one that I promise you I'll never watch again. And this is 133. This is Moonfall. I've made a shocking discovery. I need you to get me in touch with NASA immediately. Well, NASA and I aren't really on speaking terms these days. Well, that'll change. When you tell them that the moon is out of orbit. There's no need to panic. Not crazy! Why are they lying about all this? It's too late to stop. You knew all this was happening before NASA. You are the unidentified source? Oh, yes. Something about this, at, at least in terms of the premise, it's so ridiculous. But at the same time, it, it's one of those, it's almost like undeniable, like there's going to be something interesting in here. Let me just break down the basic premise and, and a little bit about this. This is directed by Roland Emmerich, you know, a guy who's responsible for some of the biggest kind of world disaster movies of the last 20 or 30 years, right? You got Independence Day, you've got The Day After Tomorrow, you've got, you know, just pick one, 2012, uh, all these movies where everything goes wrong, the world comes to an end. Roland Emmerich's probably behind one of those, if not all of them. So already you kind of have a, an expectation of, okay, this guy goes big. And so on top of that, you've got the cast, Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson, John Bradley from Game of Thrones, several other people. But, you know, the big thing is that it's not the cast. It's not even the filmmaker. Because I, I can say Roland Emmerich has done some really big, wild stuff. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. But here, <laughs> the surprise to me with this is the story. Because what the hell is this? You know, the original premise, or, or as is laid out in the trailer, the premise is that somehow the moon is going to collide with Earth. 
And what are people going to do? What is going to happen to humanity? How do we stop this? It's not really shown or explained why. It's not even shown like what they're going to do about it. You just see the just chaos that happens, right? Well, once you get into the film itself, you start to understand the story and all the baggage that comes with these characters that, you know, it, it comes into play at some point, but the way and the reason for that is absolutely batshit bonkers. Is aliens, but it's not really aliens. It's some other like entity, some other beings that just created the galaxy like thousands of years ago or whatever. And another entity is trying to uh, stop them and steering the moon into the earth or something like that. And also there's like this one character who's like a crackpot and believes in this conspiracy theory about megastructures and the moon is actually hollow and it's got machines in it all kinds of weird shit and i'm like wait 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 what am i what is this because obviously of course if you back up and think about it if somehow the moon naturally just on its own started to collide with the earth or come into the earth's gravity field or whatever scientific thing of course, there's nothing we can do about that. What is one man? What is one woman? What is anybody going to be able to do about that? Right? So there's no story there. <laughs> they say, oh, the moon's going to hit the earth. Okay. It happens and then credits. That's it. Well, here, I guess in order for it to be somehow uh, to be prevented or to be, you know, to the crisis to be averted, there's got to be another reason. It can't just be a natural reason. And so here's where we get the aliens and the whatever, supernatural beings and stuff. We get like ghosts and projections. And I, I don't even know. The, the fact is that the, the, the film is just insane. And yet at the same time, like literally laughing at what is happening with this story, there are some really incredible moments, like just visually, just the spectacle is just wild. And in that respect, it's hard to deny like, oh, there was a good idea. Not even a good idea. Uh, there was some good intentions here. Someone was really going to make something and show us something that we've never seen before. And there's some stuff in this film that is presented in ways that I never could have imagined. Like, what would it look like if the moon collided with the Earth? I don't think it would look like this. Because this feels not a scientist, not an astrophysicist, anything like that, not a geologist. But it, I, just trust me, this feels like it wouldn't happen this way. But at the same time, it's pretty spectacular, right? It's pretty amazing to watch. So it's almost one of those where you could just watch like the clips of the destruction and of all the action and forget about the story. You, know, you could watch that part on mute, basically. And that's not, of course, I'm sure what anybody that was producing this film had in mind. But 
that's kind of how I feel about it. And so if you've seen this movie, I maybe you feel like it's deeper than it is or that I'm seeing, but I don't know, man. It's a pass. Watch it if you just have nothing else to do. You just want something big and dumb and loud. Okay, you can do that. If you're a fan of anybody in the cast, don't go there looking for, you know, big high caliber performances or, or you know, emotional moments. It's not really about that. Michael Pena, bro, you got shorted on this. I'm sorry. All the same, um, you might just want to just avoid altogether. Okay? All right. That's Moonfall. Okay, so next up on Film Streak, number 134, this is Elvis. From Baz Luhrmann. Director of Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge, and The Great Gatsby comes a bold new vision of an American icon. We're gonna do something different. I would do anything to make sure my mom and daddy never have to live in poverty ever again. I think if you dream it, you'll do it. You bled me dry and you still want more? I am a promoter. That is what I do. What you say is God-given, so there can't be nothing wrong with it. Are you ready to fly? I'm ready to fly. Elvis, ready PG-13, now playing. This is directed by Boz Lerman. Stars Tom Hanks, stars Austin Butler, and this, at what seems like is going to be the story of Elvis Presley, is in a way also the story of Colonel Tom Parker, but not told through the eyes of a third party, not told through the eyes of Elvis necessarily, but told through the eyes of Colonel Tom Parker which is a very odd choice, I think. And yet, it's interesting because it gives us a little bit of a distance from the man. You know, we've seen the story of Elvis over the years, has been dramatized and retold in different films, and it's always a test to see if this actor or whoever is gonna portray the role is really gonna be anything compared to the real Elvis, who is arguably the biggest star in the world, especially during the 50s, 60s, 70s, and maybe even into the 80s. That's a really interesting choice. And I'm not really sure I understand it. Because in a way, it becomes a cartoon. You know, Tom Hanks, I, I, I figure he's trying to give us a, a somewhat reliable representation of Colonel Tom Parker, but it does slip into caricature. And it even gets to the point where we, we can see, just by the way things play out, that we can't trust him. He's an unreliable narrator. And so when you look at it through that lens, I, to me, it's like I can't watch this movie believing everything this man is saying or his point of view of everything that happened. So I have to watch it through Elvis's eyes. And so when the story shifts to Elvis's point of view, Austin Butler, I mean, this dude, if he was not on the rise before, 
He's definitely on the rise now. You know, the only thing I can think that I've seen him in is in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I didn't even recognize him. I didn't even realize this was the same guy. So here, he's really transformed. He really brings the Elvis to the party. Everything from the, you know, the, the kind of affectations and the, and the, you know, the movement and, but also the performances, you know, the, the, the stage presence. I mean, he's, he's bringing it all. And there are even shots in the film where I'm not sure, am I, am I looking at, am I looking at footage of the real Elvis or am I looking at Austin Butler? It, it, it there are angles and moments and with lights and stuff, it, it blurs the line. And that's a pretty powerful, uh, that's a pretty powerful test of, you know, how, how far this guy has gone with it. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that I like is that there's a part of the film that also looks at Elvis's inspiration. And I say inspiration, and I say it with quotes, I guess, because some people say, well, you know, he basically took other people's music. He didn't write his own music. You know, he, he, he stole from a lot of blues musicians and just cribbed everything they were doing and cribbed the themes in their songs and the tone and the style of their songs. And maybe that's true. I'm not a defender. I'm not a big Elvis defender or, or anything like that. But it's hard to deny the impact that he had, whether his music was his or not. Yeah, it's it's hard to deny the man landed and made a splash in the world, like on the world stage that many, uh, rarely does anybody get to do. So here's what I would say. If you're an Elvis fan, this might really kind of ring true to your vision or memory of Elvis. And yet at the same time, this is a little bit of a, an Elvis for a new generation, I think. Because I'm sure the people who grew up listening to Elvis, who maybe saw Elvis when he was alive, like in a show or on TV or anything like that, you already have your experience. You already have your, uh, understanding of who the man is, who the musician is, and all that. But for people who are much younger, people who were never even alive when Elvis was alive, I feel like this film tries to bridge that gap a little bit. So it not only shows us who Elvis got his inspiration from, who he maybe took his music from, but it also flips that and gives us more modern takes on some of his songs. And I don't know that I would have made the same exact choices as, as this film does, but you know, some of these songs, they, they change the tempo and they uh, like a, a rap verse comes in, in the middle of an Elvis song. And at first it's a little off putting. It's a little bit like, wait, what, what is happening here? But the way I look at it, it's like this film is trying to say, Look, just like Elvis got his inspiration from other artists before him, there are artists today that, whether they realize it or not, are getting their inspiration from Elvis. And maybe it's not the music, the genre, the, the style, but it's his 
way of performing and being so big and being in front of everybody, just you know, capturing their attention. Like I think that has more to say about the, the it's not about this, the music itself. I think that's where the inspiration might come from for, for people today, musicians today, artists today, celebrities today. It's not about what they do. It's just about how it's presented to the world. And, you know, maybe that's kind of a cynical way to look at it. But I, I just think that when you see how much it shows, this film shows how Tom Parker marketed the hell out of this man made every possible kind of merchandise and dollar off of this man's likeness and his music and his movies. It, it just, this is like the first, he, he is the one that blazed the trail of what it means to be a modern day celebrity. And, and to a degree that no one else had before. Sure, there were celebrities before Elvis, and there were superstars, and there were people that were icons on a world stage. But here was a man who not only did that, but has created such a lasting legacy of, I mean, his music, his films, his just his likeness, where you have people that to this day dress up like him. That's a pretty strong legacy whether you like it or not whether you're a fan of it or not it is there and so i think this is at least a, a film that tries to give us like 100 percent what it meant uh, uh, everything that elvis did what it meant to the world yeah, maybe that's kind of a you know high-minded artsy fartsy way to look at the film maybe it's just a straight standard biopic whatever that's what i took away from it there was i think a pretty great documentary also it was a two-part documentary it's called elvis presley the searcher and it's kind of the same as the film but the real life version of it so with real footage showing the real uh tv appearances the real concerts and giving you the real background of him his family everything around him and so it's it's interesting to watch that and this film because you see some representations of real people, but then you can also see the real people themselves and hear things in their own voice. And so maybe that's a, a good companion piece. Maybe that's even the better version, really, because it, it, it doesn't have all the glitz and glamour. It's straight to here's what happened. Here's why it happened. So if you don't like this, you feel like this is over the top. This is really just uh, overwrought. Then check out The Searcher. It's a pretty great documentary also. So in the meantime, that is Film Streak 134. That is Elvis. Oh, okay. I feel like I'm getting caught up now. And here we're going into October. And I'm going to do a nice, fun run of horror films. It's films that, uh, it's a genre that I've always been a fan of, but a lot of times, if you if you like horror, you know that it's really a mixed bag. You're just never sure what you're going to get. So here I'm going to try and be a little more choosy, a little more selective. I'm going to go for some classics, and then we'll go for some newer stuff that is maybe a little more highly rated or highly acclaimed. And uh, we'll we'll try and we'll try and get around any kind of you know garbage floating around out there. 
So in the meantime, thanks for listening. Thanks for checking this out. If you have any thoughts on these films, uh, maybe you have a suggestion. You know what? Send me a film you've seen that you like, and I'll see if I've seen it. If I haven't, maybe we'll talk about it here. You can send that to comments at filmstreak.com. So in the meantime, my name is Rob. This has been Filmstreak, and keep watching movies. Thank you.